Creating videos doesn't have to be expensive and time-consuming. At QuickFrame by Mountain, you'll get all the creativity without any of the baggage. Their solution has facilitated more than 65,000 high-performing on-brand video ads designed for both audience specificity and rapid creative testing. Get matched with a diverse community of creators across the globe who have the skills to bring your big and small ideas to life. Big screen performance on every screen in the home? It's not too good to be true. It's just how they roll. Visit quickframe.com to learn more. On this edition of AW360, we speak with Misha Chernyshev, Global Brand Director at InDrive. InDrive is an up-and-coming rideshare service that promises to disrupt the major players in the space. They already are in many regions, and Misha tells us about their unique proposition and approach to marketing. I hope you enjoy this episode. Misha, welcome to the AW360 podcast. I'm excited to have you on today. Hi, Richard. So you're Global Brand Director at InDrive. Tell us a little bit about InDrive and what you do there. InDrive is a very interesting company. We're ride-hailing, uh, but we have a different model. It's a people-to-people uh, ride-hailing where people agree on the price and agree on the terms of the ride. Uh, the company been there since uh, 2012. So been uh, more than 10 years uh, operating in 47 countries, and I'm responsible for global brand development. Amazing. Well, I will tell you, as somebody who almost never agrees with the ride-hailing apps I've used, at least in terms of pricing or availability or, well, pretty much anything you could mention. <laughs> tell me a little bit <laughs> well, about the genesis of InDrive. And, you know, obviously there's a, there's a need to fill there. Um, when you say person to person, I think a lot of us think that, you know, a lot of your competitors are person to person, but they're, they're really not They're They're, you know, definitely, um, algorithm based, I think is probably the simplest way to put it, but tell me, you know, what differentiates you to the end user that they're going to notice right away. Yeah, thanks for this great question. So I would actually start uh, going back to 2012, how the company was started. It was started because there was a monopoly on the market of uh, large taxi operators, which dictated the the the, the prices. Mm -hmm. And uh, the customers were not happy, but the more important, the independent drivers who were the independent taxi drivers, they were also unhappy. And they created a social media group called Independent Driver, and where they agree directly on the price. So this is where our founder found this idea and said, okay, if people do that on social media, maybe we can do an app for that. And that's how it all started. So yeah, as, as you said, uh, the beauty of our product is that there is no intermediate part. There is no algorithm deciding on with who you ride, for how much you ride. And uh, uh, it's basically the full transparent people-to-people uh, -people or peer-to-peer -peer service where passengers set the price, then drivers either agree on the price or they can make a counter bet. And it actually happens very simple, just in a few clicks and seconds. But what's more important, the passengers and driver, they choose each other based on their reviews, based on pictures, on the ratings, on number of rides or the car that they have. But the more important is that the driver can actually see the point A and point B. This is where all other ride hailing try to hide 
from the drivers because they would afraid the drivers would not take some orders. So this is where the magic happens. This is kind of creating a more fair space for both passenger and driver in terms of the prices, the conditions, and actually the kind of whole experience becoming more safe and more emotionally comfortable. So that's how the whole product started and it's being growing very fastly. We were named actually this year as the fastest growing ride hailing service in the world. And uh, yeah, we just launched a business in Australia and soon we're going to launch in the United States. Excellent. Well, as somebody in the United States who has been using uh, the past few days, I, mean, I just got done traveling for three straight days, used one of your competitors, which you know I'm forced to do over here because the monopoly <laughs> is real. Um, yep. And had, you know, miserable experiences across the board. Um, you know, I, I, I welcome alternatives. Tell me, you know, in, in terms of competing in a space where there is such strong monopolies, what are the challenges for you in terms of getting the message out and really, you know, letting people know up front what the differences are? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is to get your foot out there and to be visible because, Unfortunately, we don't have such big budgets as our competitors do. So we have to be really smart in how and what we say and where we say. So we usually start as um, any kind of tech startup by pushing our message out there through digital performance. This usually creates a first traction, but then we need to get out there with uh, you know bigger and bolder messages using traditional media. And this is what we started to do very actively as of last year, starting to use offline media and 360 campaigns and to actually start building the, 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 the brand and the disruptive message out there because we are challenger by the product side, and now we need to become a challenger on the way how we communicate and how the brand tells the story. So actually last year in October, we made a first global campaign, which were there to disrupt the whole category and humanize it a little bit and throw and a little bit poke our competitors by showing the, the downside of being um, pushed by algorithm, either by expensive prices or unfair rides or unfair conditions for the drivers. And it proved to be a huge success. So yeah, now I think the answer to that is that we're using the combination of both the performance digital and traditional 360 media campaigns, which proves to be working even much better in both growing in existing markets and launching in the new markets. I have to ask, and this is just because I noticed this over the past few days, one of your competitors actually has advertising in their app now, a lot of it, um, at least in yep. the US. Um, it would be fantastic for you guys to uh, advertise in there. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea, Richard. Thank you for that. I'll definitely, <laughs> I'll definitely try to do that. Something tells me that they would not allow us to do that, but we're definitely worth of trying. You know, that that it depends if they're paying attention. You know, I, I'll be <laughs> honest, uh, some of the ads I received, I really do question that. That's why I bring it up. There was some ads in there that were, um, well, it's just for the sake of the audience, we'll say they were kind of inappropriate, not just because they were, you know, directed to me. It was stuff that I have literally never looked up. There was a few that were obviously targeted, but some of the ones where it didn't know what to target were were, were quite interesting. So I'm not sure if they're just asleep at the wheel. No, no puns here intended, but uh, you know, it, was, uh, it was, it was, it was a fascinating thing. Um, let's, let's go back a ways. So founded in 2012, where were you originally rolled out in what region? 
we started actually in the northest city in the world called Yakutsk. And then we started to roll out in uh, CIS countries and countries in Latin America. Uh, so one of the first countries was for us, uh, Mexico, Brazil, and then we went to Asian countries like Indonesia, uh, then to African continent like Egypt. And uh, most recent country that uh, countries that we launched is uh, Australia that happened uh, just uh, last year. Interesting. And how do you go about selecting that that pathway for for the rollout? Mm -hmm. I'm super curious because that's it's an interesting. You know, if I were to put dots on a map, that's a pretty interesting rollout strategy. Yeah, initially it was kind of a trial and error thing, but then we found out that our product market fit actually happens where people are more price sensitive because what our uh, product does is that it lets people decide the prices. And uh, most of the, let's say, big competitors, they sometimes think that they know the pricing better than the people do. What other thing they do is they do, well, let's say contagious market, as I call it, because they start with very low prices for the passenger and subsidizing the difference for the drivers and with very low commission or zero commission for the drivers, but then they increase both the prices and the commission. We never do that because the pricing is not on our side, it's on the passenger side and the driver side. And same with the commission, we basically always keep the commission to one digit figure. So the maximum commission we would ever go is 9%. But to answer your question, uh, the best product market fit is started where we initially had low competition, basically where there was no the big players, mm -hmm. and also where it was already demand for the regular taxi, because this is usually where the kind of natural monopoly is, and where there is a uh, an army of independent drivers who wanted and willing to, you know, get the clients, but they didn't get either the fair uh, product or the fair right hailing, or they didn't have any right hailing as such. So that was the initial strategy. But then we understood that basically there is no country or no city left without any competitor. So now we're trying to come there where we see the demand, and demand usually comes from. The, as we call them, the real people, the people that are actually counting the money, the price-sensitive people, and that's where we start our growth. But then later, after adoption by this segment, we grow and we being adopted by other more kind of comfort-conscious or time-conscious uh, segments. Because usually when you start, you do have a limited supply, meaning the limited number of drivers. Mm -hmm. But then when you grow, you grow both the supply side of the business and the demand side of the business. So this is where the magic of the growth happening. Oh, Misha, I have so many questions for you. Uh, <laughs> to start, you know, let's let's take price sensitivity. I mean, I think you know one of the things in in our industry, and it's being talked about a lot in the U.S. Um, is very talked about with our with our partners in in the U.K. and over in Europe. Is you know everyone is talking about recession anyway, so mm -hmm. it seems like this would be you know, as someone who, you know, admittedly makes a, a pretty decent living, you know, going with some of your competitors is still, I mean, as I just went through, is still painful. It's really difficult for somebody, regardless of their income, to justify $25 for what really is a, a four to five minute ride, you know? I mean, it's, you kind of go, boy, I, I could walk that for free, but, you know, I'm going to get there five minutes late. How... 
do you think that will factor into your growth as you expand into these markets? I mean, is it just kind of a great timing, you know, not on the backs of people and, you know, their financial woes, but just, you know, the state of the world being really kind of in need of, of what you're offering and, you know, due to that price sensitivity. Definitely, yes. But uh, at the same time, there is always a, a set of the consumers who are more price sensitive or more cautious about how much and what they're willing to pay. The other beauty of our product is that it actually increases the category penetration. So sometimes we're not even stealing the market share of competitors, but we're allowing the people that couldn't afford uh, a ride share mm -hmm. to start using it uh, and coming from the bus or from the subway to actually using the ride share. Because if you look at the um, pricing, how it build up, is that this 20 or $25, which is actually the average check for the right hailing in United States, is only part of it is comes to the driver. Now, the driver commissions from competition last year increased up to 40%, which is ridiculous, wow. and which makes the whole business not fair. So mm -hmm. what we do, we actually putting the power from these monopolies or let's say oligopolis or or kind of the, the the big corporations to the power of both the driver and the passenger by providing low commission and providing them agree on the prices the other interesting thing is that some sometimes we hear look but you're more on the passenger side because you know passenger would always put the low prices Yes and no. Of course, passenger is the first ones to bid, but driver never has to accept something which is not beneficial for him. And also, I've been talking a lot recently with drivers, and what I see is that sometimes drivers are very happy to accept low price ride if they know that the point B is actually where they initially intended to go. So, for example, like one driver said just a few days ago, he said, look, I know that the, the ride there costs $20, but I would be happy to go uh, for $10 if I see that the destination is very close to where I live because anyway, I need to go there at the end of my shift. So that's the magic of our model because we provide both the fantastic prices for the passengers but also allow convenient tool for drivers to decide whether they're willing to accept this price or not. This is so fascinating. I think, you know, just the idea of opening up a new market to people who either did not want to afford it or simply couldn't afford it before is, I mean, that's magic right there. I mean, absolute magic. Um, one of your competitors, Uber, is practically a verb in certain regions of the world, particularly in the United States. We don't say, you know, hey, I'm going to take a cab. Hey, I'm going to lift over there. They say, I'll, I'll Uber and get there in 10 minutes. How do you, from a brand perspective, sort of look to compete with that in terms of just product awareness you know just the, the the you have this i mean it's almost like kleenex or google at this point and honestly it's really not because they ever gave anybody great service or did anything right they were just biggest first you know at least in the minds of of, of america and probably a few other regions from a brand perspective and you know this being your side of of the in drive business what sort of inroads do you make in terms of strategy to to combat that? 
Yeah, that's a very great and actually very tough question because you're right. Uber is like a synonym for the right hailing and for the category. Mm -hmm. And the only way to fight with this is that you cannot do that, you know, um, head to head. You cannot do that directly. You need to outsmart it unless you have more budgets than Uber, which we don't definitely have. So our response to that is that we are becoming um, a challenger brand and we want to challenge the status quo of the biggest competitor, which is definitely the Uber. But the way how we do that is that we're disrupting it by bringing people first. That's how basically our brand idea is uh, that we are people driven. And by our character, we define ourselves as people champions. It's like Robin Hoods that are coming there and do good for people that are being underserved or uh, exploited by the big corporations or the big companies like Uber by giving them back power and control on how they do the rights, define the prices, etc. So the only way to fight with the giants uh, like Uber is to disrupt. Let's go back a couple of years. You know, one of the things that almost everybody who does business outside of the household suffered quite a bit, you know, during the pandemic. How did you guys tackle that? I mean, you know, you obviously came through it. You know, you're you're still in business. I mean, we heard a lot of um, a lot of your competitors were really struggling. How well did you fare during that? Well, yeah, like any business that were operating outside of the houses, we did have some slump uh, during that time. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we were geographically developing, so we kind of compensated this uh, short term. Uh, COVID um, decrease by opening up more cities and more regions. So overall, we went through perfectly fine. And now we actually see for the uh, second year in a row, uh, the growth, uh, which is uh, 60 to 70% year on year. And that constitutes both from the existing markets where we've been operating for some time, and also by opening up new cities and new markets uh, for InDrive. And looking ahead, this is kind of a two-parter for the, the final question here. As you look ahead one year or five years or both, um, what do you think that the successes will be, you know, in terms of expansion and, you know, market share, if you want to go there, or if not, that's entirely up to you. And what will be the challenges that you foresee as you get into these, these you know, increasingly larger markets that are more competitive? Yeah, I think you put it very right on your question itself. I think the biggest challenge for us is how to start and grow in the developed markets like United States. I mean, United States is the biggest market in terms of ride share, but at the same time, you have a really strong competition there and really strong kind of brand awareness, which is linked to category to Uber and Lyft. And the challenge there is how we are, we are kind of a still a small player in terms of the financial um, power, how we can break through this wall uh, of the really great and strong competitors. I mean, they have a fantastic product, uh, they just have a different model. So that's a challenge number one. The challenge number two is how do we continue growing in existing markets? And the challenge number three is how do we find uh, new markets and new potential for growth? And another challenge is that we definitely have a lot of rooms for improving the product itself and product experience, especially adapting it for the developing markets. Like, for example, in most of the developing markets, 
most of the payment type that is done by between the driver and passenger is still cash. And uh, it's completely fine. And actually, it's very much liked by drivers because they love to get immediate cash uh, after the trip because Mm -hmm. then they can bring that cash in the evening to their families and feed their families. It's like microfinancing for them. But in the developed countries like United States, you cannot operate with cash. You definitely need to have a credit card. You need to have a processing, et cetera. So that's another big challenge is how do we uh, adapt the product itself without losing the the core and the beauty and simplicity of the product to develop markets? And how do we break through this, I wouldn't say clutter, but probably the wall of existing great competitors? Excellent. Well, Misha, I'm going to make a plea to you right now that when you launch in the United States, you you launch in Seattle first. <laughs> so we actually have Seattle on our list. And I, I personally love Seattle. I've been there several times. I think this is one of the coolest uh, cities in the United States. So definitely watch for us coming to Seattle quite soon, I hope. I, I can't wait. And where can people find out more about InDrive right now? It's very simple. You just put indrive.com and it's our website where you can find the product and service or you can just download our app in the App Store or Google Play. Also just type in indrive, download the app and just check whether we are already in your city or not. If not, we will come there quite soon. Excellent, Misha. I can't wait. I'm very excited for this. This is this is an amazing idea. You've um you've sold me. I'm I need that alternative. And the, the whole Robin Hood side of it, you know, really, really appeals to me. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you, Richard, for having me. Thanks for listening. For more content like this, be sure to visit www.advertisingweek.com. There's a better way to make high-quality video ads. You know, like the ones that drive performance on every platform across the internet? QuickFrame by Mountain has hacked the video production process to deliver a faster, more efficient way to produce content. Through a global network of creators hungry to bring your brand's vision to life, you'll be able to iterate and improve upon your campaign's mid-flight, creating a feedback loop of testing and learning so you can scale your business and reach new audiences. Visit QuickFrame.com to learn more.